Hello and welcome to People at Work. It's Dustin. I'll be your host today. People at Work is brought to you by Jostle, but Jostle is a people enablement platform. We really built it to help your employees do meaningful work. And if you want to learn more, you can head on over to jostle.me. On this episode, I'm chatting with Robin Rosenberg, who is the CEO and founder of Live in Their World. Today, we're going to be chatting about civility in the workplace, virtual reality, and how that can help you understand bias. And I'm really excited about learning more here. So Robin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dustin. So maybe before we get started on, you know, your background, why you started living in their world, I mentioned civility in the workplace, and I think people know those words, maybe not in that order, and they might not really understand the concept. Do you mind maybe explaining that for our listeners? Happy to. So civility, on one level, you can think of it as politeness, right? Please, thank you, those kinds of things. And even that would be great in the workplace. Um, yeah. But but it really means something deeper than that. It's about um, what we might call unearned respect. And so part of civility is thinking about how your words and deeds impact others and adjusting your behavior accordingly. And that's really the crux of what we do is help people understand how their words and deeds can impact people from different demographic groups, um, in particular, and everyone in general, and upskill people because what you know on one hand you can know okay, but then what do I do instead? And so ours helps people with what can I do instead, as well as the understanding piece. I mean that's the other piece of civility, adjusting your behavior accordingly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I'd imagine. This whole hybrid remote work situation changed that a bit because I personally find it a little harder to maybe read cues or get a pulse of the room. And I wonder if, if that had an impact. Um, I mean, if so, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, maybe how hybrid changed it. So hybrid has changed things in a variety of ways, um, in some ways for the better, in some ways not, or more challenging, I should say, or, or less challenging, uh, with hybrid, the cues are different. We don't have full body nonverbals. Um, we have little little pixelated faces unless you're having a one-on-one Zoom meeting with a big screen. Yeah. And so the, the cues are really minimized. You can't tell if someone's having a side conversation <laughs> either way you get mm-hmm. the meeting or the, the looks that people give each other are gone. Yeah. You can't read the audience. For sure you can't read the audience in the same way during a presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't really know what's happening in people's work environments because it, with work from anywhere, you know, some people can have terrific work setups yeah. and uh, have their own room with the door that closes and great light, noise qualities, workstation. And then other people are kind of working in their bathroom because there are multiple people at home and it's the only place with a door. Or not. I mean, you're working in a studio. So that's been very challenging and it's created a whole other level of inequity. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It's also maybe a side piece to that is so we've been fully remote for about 18 months, pretty much since the pandemic started. And I hired a few people remote and we met for the first time in person and had an in-person meeting. And all of us who are used to it were like, oh, this is way better. The remote people we're like, this is a really awkward meeting. I'm not used to this. I'm used to the Zoom meeting. So I think if we did stay, you know, half remote, half in person, 
you're totally right. Like, how do you make those meetings equal and make everyone equal participants? It, it can become really difficult. Yeah, right. So we actually do leadership training around hybrid workplaces of how mm-hmm. to really help leaders step up. It is very challenging. And especially if you have some people in person and some people remote, it, yeah. it really does create, in essence, a two-tiered system. Mm-hmm. And But there are ways to address it, but it's it's ultimately not great. Yeah, definitely. So just jumping back maybe from that topic to your background, I'd love to hear kind of your story, how you got to where you are and, you know, why you founded Live in the World. Sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist and for many years had a psychotherapy practice, executive coaching practice. I write psychology textbooks for college students, maybe some of your listeners. That's some of them in college. Um, and I do research on odd things. And, and one of the things that I was doing research on was virtual reality. Um, yeah. There's a whole backstory about why that well, listeners can read on, on our website about us and our origin story. But the most relevant thing here is when Trayvon Martin was killed and then George Zimmerman was acquitted and that led to Black Lives Matter, um, white people were telling, you know, journalists that either all lives matter or white lives matter, some white people. Mm-hmm. And I had been doing VR research at the time. And, and so I thought, wow, maybe VR can really help those people more deeply understand the lived experience of being black in America. And again, not that I presumed to know, but I knew enough from being a psychologist to wonder. Um, yep. If, if that could really both help them understand and then motivate some behavior change. So that was the idea. Um, I, I mentioned it to a BC, uh, after me too, he contacted me to fund me to do a proof of concept for gender and mm-hmm. he got terrific results and the rest is history. Yeah. That's super interesting. Cause I mean, you hear the phrase. Like you have to walk a mile in their shoes, but how do you actually ever do that in real life? Like it, it can be difficult to put yourself there and see it from someone else's eyes. So is that where the VR comes in to really kind of make that transition to help people see it a little bit in a new way? Yes. We we actually wanted the domain walking, walk in their shoes or walking my shoes and both were taken. Um, oh. <laughs> for we have lived in that yeah. world. Um, the, the VR provides really deep uh, empathy and awareness of what it is like. And the reason that's important is because ultimately what we're talking about, whether we're talking about civility training or respect or DEI work, we're really talking about habit training, that it becomes automatic. And habits are hard to learn. New habits, they require motivation. They require specific guidance of, well, what should I do? What is a new habit? And they require help in sustaining that new behavior or set of behaviors until it's automatic. And so what VR does is really provide that motivation in general. VR provides that motivation because it's so compelling. And then our motivation, our VR experience and and our program in general, because it's not just VR really helps people understand about the specific changes and helps in what's called distributed learning in small doses over time um, mm-hmm. to keep it 
top of mind to help sustain the change for it to become automatic. So we used really yeah. scientific learning principles in developing the program and, and VR is just a part of that. Yeah. And I imagine one potential benefit there as well is these things, a lot of people are well-intended, like they want to do the right thing. They don't know how, and maybe having them practice in the real, real world could have some negative consequences. Just inadvertently, they might hurt people or, you know, say or do things that maybe aren't the correct way. So I wonder if is VR kind of a bit of a safer way to do that almost and, um, you know, get those kinks out? It can, it can be, um, yeah. but you know, here's the thing. And you, you said this, you nailed this. None of us is ever going to get it all right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, people have different sensibilities, things they find funny, things they find disrespectful. And so mm -hmm. fundamentally part of what we're trying to teach people is respectful engagement. Yeah. Which is if I feel disrespected, how do, how do I communicate that to you? Because, you know, it'd be nice if you knew, if you could read my expression, or maybe I'm trying to have a blank face, right? Particularly with remote work. So you can't know if I, you can't for sure know if I don't tell you, but how do I tell you? And context is so important and what the qualities of the relationship. So we're, we're trying to give people the skills to be in conversation and have an open and curious mindset about learning from each other. Yeah. I think that part is super important because it can be really easy to get defensive, maybe on either end. Like if you feel offended, of course, you'll be defensive. If you're the one who inadvertently def offended someone, you might just get defensive when they call you out. Right. So I know that can be a difficult conversation for sure. Exactly. I, I like, I don't, I understand why people use the term call, call out, you know, call yep. out. but, um, and, and, you know, there is conflict, but I like the idea of translating conflict into conversation <laughs> because it, it actually deepens the relationship. If you, when people work through conflict, disagreement, um, you know, telling you about this, what felt disrespectful to me. Yeah. It, it strengthens our trust in each other and it makes work better, a better experience for both of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'd imagine with, you know, this training and working with people, there had to have been a bunch of moments where, you know, there is either kind of a breakthrough for a person or some sustaining moment. Are there any, you know, kind of examples or common things that, that come up when you do this? Um, so some of the men who have had the experience and I've had the pleasure to, to talk with them sort of after the VRPs or, or further down the road have talked about how impactful it was to see, to be in the perspective of, of a woman and really deeply experience. I was, I was with someone who, in the pre COVID days, um, was having the headset on watching experiencing a VR, a female track. And as soon as he took it off, he said, oh my gosh, my fiance told me about this one of the incidents in the, in the VR last week. And I thought I understand, but I didn't understand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have to go tell her. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that is interesting to me how, 
you know, someone they obviously love and care about told them about it and they couldn't fully grasp it. They couldn't really walk in their shoes. And then, right, even you know, with the VR headset. Right. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is, is we, we show, we give people, we don't just show, I mean, give people the experience of what it's like to be a woman when a guy, um, you know, he sort of comes over, he's standing and you're sitting. And mm -hmm. interestingly, I think most men have not been in that position. There's, there's some unwritten male choreography to which I'm not privy, but that happens with women. And so yep. guys have found who, yeah, I mean, they've found that incredibly impactful and have told me how now they, you know, take all these steps not to put women in that situation. And so it's been really interesting, the things that have impacted people particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that one, that one is interesting that you mentioned that. I feel awkward about that at work sometimes because I have a stand-up desk and most of my team prefers to sit. So I'm kind of inadvertently doing that as I lead the team. And yeah, I'm, I'm cognizant of that and try to have a friendly tone. And, but I really don't know what to do. <laughs> like, it's just an awkward situation where you're standing over everyone. I do it so I don't hurt my back sitting all day. That's the root cause, but it, it can be a little strange. Two suggestions. One is invite yeah. them to your workstation. Um, yeah. And the other is together go somewhere where you can both sit. Okay. Yeah. Well, those are both good suggestions for sure. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. And for some women, it's not a big deal, right? That's the thing. We can't yeah. presume to know. We can be informed, and but we really don't know about other people unless we enter conversation yeah. with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. So this is, you mentioned, you know, you've written college textbooks and you've researched this for a long time. Has has DE&I kind of been your focus all along or was there some point in your career where you kind of realized, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to focus on. Um, I, in graduate school, my program uh, really did emphasize um, awareness of multiple perspectives, I guess, and multiple experiences mm -hmm. and how that shapes us. Uh, I think more more than other programs, really focusing on demographic issues, yeah. um, race in particular. And so I think that's always been with me. And when, and then with executive coaching, again, there, it was really clear. And even with psychotherapy, I mean, people talk about work and therapy, mm -hmm. not yeah. frequently. Um, and so it was always really clear the ways the struggle for individuals to figure out when someone is a jerk, why? So we can get into what's called attribution theory. So if, yeah. if let's say we work together and you did something that was disrespectful to me, mm -hmm. is it because of something about me? Is it because you're generally a jerk? Mm -hmm. And I, this isn't about me. Right now, then we sort of go into these, uh, if it's about me, is it something about my demographic identity? Is it something about something I, I actually said or did to you? So people strive to understand the why, why did this happen to me? And that's been very, very clear. And I think particularly for people from, uh, for women of any color and for men of color, that it, it, is it because 
of my race or ethnic identity? Is it because of my gender? And and it can be very complicated mm-hmm. to figure out why. And we all are striving to understand if someone is a jerk, why? You know, are they are they a jerk to everybody or only to me? Yeah. Yeah, especially in a not a one-off, but maybe a limited interaction, someone you don't work with or see all the time. It could be easy to take that person and think it is, you know, discriminatory against them. And then other times it could be, you're right, they're just like this with everyone. They're kind of brash, maybe not super respectful and almost like an equal opportunity jerk. Right, but exactly. Or if, yeah, how do you ever read that? I mean, that's the other piece of that remote, right? Because if you're not really seeing people with with interacting with others, how can you tell mm-hmm. whether it is um, intentionally, well, I, even unconsciously disrespectful um, to you in particular, or to, or yep. just it's a jerk, person's an all around jerk, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then so for our listeners who, you know, maybe our business leaders have their company, have this top of mind and want to address and want to be better at this, but maybe don't know where to start. I'd imagine there's a few people like that where, you know, how do I take those first steps? Any suggestions on, you know, immediate kind of impactful steps they can take to, to get better at being inclusive? Uh, I, what I would suggest is is come to our website and go to the thought leadership page. We've written a lot about steps that people can take. We have our own podcast called Their World. We have a blog. I have a monthly Dear Robin column where people write in write in your question to me, right? And I I'll I'll try to answer it. It's anonymous. You can anonymously um, give us a question. And then, and then just other articles of places where people can start. Leaders, of course, want to start somewhere different than individual contributors. Um, mm-hmm. Or just email me. I'm happy, or LinkedIn. I'm happy to give you. If I, know, if I know a little bit more, I can be helpful to you about where to start. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And I'll include those in the player description for our listeners so you can find them easily. But yeah, I think, thank you for, for joining me here. And I think it's a timely discussion. Like we had a a research study we did recently on inclusion in the workplace during remote work. Mm-hmm. And the findings were people in general, all almost across the board felt less included in a variety of ways and were having trouble adapting. So thank you so much for joining me and, you know, giving me personally tips that, that I can get better at and also sharing with our listeners as well. Happy to. Um, and then just so listeners know, we, we always have a white paper or ebook or some something that's free to download on our published page. So it's liveworld.com backslash published. And there's always something up there that's a significant freebie to download. Awesome. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. If you enjoyed the podcast, can you please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star review? It helps feed the Apple algorithm so more people discover our podcasts. And if you haven't hit subscribe yet, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and just hit subscribe. Until next time.